Welcome to the Black Moose First Podcast. I'm your host, Alton Jamison. I've made the journey from having an incarcerated father to becoming an engineer to transitioning to a professional speaker and author. And now I am the founder and chief chess player of Black Moose First. Black Moose First is a company that offers chess boards and accessories, apparel and personal development products that empower people like you to change the world one move at a time. In the game of chess, white pieces always move first, which is an advantage, and the black pieces move second, which is a disadvantage. Black moves first is more than an oxymoron in chess. Instead, it calls for people to strive for success, even when the odds are against you. To strive for success, even when you may not have the advantages of others. Our motto is, changing the world one move at a time. This podcast explores the stories of how people have overcome adversity to make their own moves and change their own world, whether in the game of chess or in the game of life. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, This is episode one of the Black Moves First podcast. I'm your host, Alton Jamison, founder and chief chess player of Black Moves First. Uh, You can check us out on the web at www.blackmovesfirst.com. Of course, subscribe to this podcast as well as check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook as well. So today in episode one, I have, I don't know, how do I want to refer to Lisa as a a role model, a friend, uh, an extended mom, an inspiration, but I have Miss Lisa Suhey uh, who joined us. Thank you so much, Lisa, for uh, joining us today. Well, I am so honored to be here, especially like for this auspicious moment. This is this like we're making history here. It's exciting. Yeah, before we dive into it, Lisa, um, I, I want to share with everybody who who's listening, uh, who will listen to this podcast. This is to me, it's how things just come full circle in life. So my daughter is 13 years old. <clears throat> She'll be 14 this year. So when she was five years old, I wanted to teach her how to play chess. And I was taught how to play chess casually when I was in college. But I never really was a took it seriously or anything like that. And then I, I looked up different chess programs. And I remember finding your nice chess program. And I think you are meeting at Parkview Library, if I can remember correctly. So I took my daughter at five and she learned how to play. It was a wonderful program. I came for however long and I was so inspired that I ended up starting the chess program in Williamsburg, which is still going on today, uh, that I must say. And I I was just been so inspired about Lisa and our co-founder, Dr. Bowman. We got to get Dr. Bowman up here as well. Just your passion for the game. And the biggest thing that I enjoyed about your program, Lisa, was I felt there was no stress, you know, almost like the game, no stress chess that, right. you know, typically growing up, you think chess, oh, you, you know, you got to be a super smart person or it's real intense, which it can be. And it is at, at times, but you made it enjoyable. Like this is a game where not just I can win the next tournament, but these kids can learn something they can do for the lifetime. And And so I guess to start off, Lisa, tell us about, you know, your chess background, we'll start there in chess. I know there's a few things I want to talk to you about, but tell us about your chess background and how that program came into existence. 
Yeah, I always get a little a little nervous about like my chess background because I'm afraid people are going to think that like I'm I'm Susan Polgar worthy. Um, and while she is my girl, like you know, I'll text her after this and say we were talking about you. Um, yeah, my chess background was that my father taught me how to play chess when I was around three or four years old, living in Manhattan in Greenwich Village, and he brought me up. Uh, playing chess because he was determined that me, you know, being a girl, because I was brought up in the 60s in Greenwich Village, and he was like, no child of mine is going to come up being anything less than, you know, they can be. And he taught it to me for critical thinking purposes. And um, it was not ever about tournament. And I'm one of those people that I... I don't do tournaments. I don't run tournaments. I am not that kind of chess teacher. And I know that that frustrates the life out of people in some of these larger organizations that want every single chess program to be a feeder program, you know, up the ranks to start paying dues, like paying dues for real, and, you know, be be bought into the whole process and the whole program. But, um, I, I found rapidly that I kind of became a better chess teacher than a chess player. I mean, you you know, there are people who say those who can't do teach. Okay, no. Um, but it, as far as that goes, I am not a grandmaster. I am not a stupendous, fantastic chess player. You want to beat me? That is not a problem. But if you want to out-teach me, you're going to have to do some work. <laughs> I think that's awesome, Lisa. I know the the way your style, I just love the approach to it. It just takes the stress out of the game and it actually makes it a fun board game. I know you can't say chess is a board game, but it makes it a fun. Yeah, right. It makes it a fun (laughs) board game. And I I do like your approach because there I've met people in this chess journey, as 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 you would call it, that who are so intense and yeah and they lose themselves in a game and if they lose the game it really puts them at a you know just in a bad funk but you've really taught youth um how to how to love the game and how to fall in love how long have you been doing the program now lisa this is the 11th year covid has put a little hitch in the giddy up with all things because the community centers are closed and uh we have so many very young children uh who come to the program that we also have a lot of senior citizens who come. And uh, I think the success of nice chess has really uh, been all about the volunteers and the mentors. Uh, it's been about having everyone from senior citizens who used to be super chess players to grandparents, aunties, uncles, police officers who used it to create a connection and unity in the community when there was like a big rub and a big disconnect like there is right now between the police and the community we would use chess to you know bridge that gap because it it, you know if you're going to hate somebody you're sitting across the chessboard from it's it's likely going to be because they just you know took your queen uh and and that's what we you know reduced it back down to and made it uh someplace where people could come and talk and communicate um found it it became chess became a tool it became a tool for teaching kids patience slowing them down uh teaching them to think 
critically all the way around a problem so that when they finally got to places where they had to take like a standardized test, they were used to slowing down and they're used to thinking about the problem and not rushing the solution. And, uh, you know, chess is a game of instant karma, instant consequences, but it doesn't have to be about stress. It, it can be music and bagels and laughter. You know, we get free bagels from a place called Yorgos Bagel Dasher because they, they're going to throw them away at the end of the day. You know, they throw them away at three o'clock. Our program starts at four. I'm like, don't throw them away. We'll come get them, you know. And so it became a solution where you feed people. Very hard to be angry or hangry when you got a bagel in one hand. You're listening to some tunes. Everybody's joking. You got a big, big age mix. You got a racial mix. You got a, a demographic mix. You got people. I mean, I've had homeless people come in and volunteer. And it has renewed their purpose and made them feel like, okay, I don't fit anywhere but in this room across this board. And if you could start there, then you can give people their you can give people their lives new direction and and you know, you could start with a with a four year old or a five year old. Right. You know, we got a lot of kids with ADD, ADHD, Asperger's, um, get a lot of seniors. Uh, I started getting people who came in and said their doctor told them to come in, uh, older men who'd had strokes. And they said, wow. you know, they, they told me to play chess to regain that eye-hand coordination and that fine motor skills. And uh, I, we have uh, people who have come back all the way back from strokes where they were nonverbal. And after a year or two, you know, they're playing and now they're volunteering and they're talking and they're back in the swing. So, yeah, you got to remove that stress right away and just make your mission not have an emission. <laughs> you, know? you know, I think that's awesome. Uh, and I'm going to ask you to explain to everybody what NICE stands for. But one thing that I have learned, Lisa, about chess, and I learned it's part of your program as well, is that chess is such a great equalizer. Because okay. I have I have beaten a doctor one Saturday and then the next week I've lost to a 10 year old, you know, mm -hmm. I rem and I remember being in Virginia where uh, people used to say, hey, that it's a group of homeless people that play on Sundays at Waterside. This was years ago. And I remember one time I walked in thinking I'm the chess guy and I'm gonna beat up these guys. And this guy, <laughs> he beat me so bad that in the middle of the game, he got up and walked away and told somebody else to play me. And that's one thing that I, I appreciate about chess is because I can play with somebody in Australia, Korea, Turkey, Pakistan, homeless, six years. You know, I've seen two, you know, uh, second graders who are phenomenal. So, I mean, that's the thing I love about the game of chess is that you you cannot judge any book by its cover. And you, you don't walk around saying I'm the chess man because you're literally one move away from losing that game. So, I mean, that's what does what does nice for the for the benefit of those who don't know, what does it stand for and kind of where did it come from? Right. So it's the Norfolk Initiative for Chess Excellence. So uh, Susan Polgar has the SPICE program. I kind of did a riff on that. Um, and I just like the idea of, of having people play nice because, I mean, you know, you're watching that TV show on Netflix, which, you know, everybody loved it. The Queen's Gambit, right? right? Got people right, back right. into chess. But it also made chess players into like crazy, drunken, drug addicted, you know, 
uh, mental cases who like lose their marbles over a game. And okay, you know, uh, you probably won't ever see uh, a Netflix movie made about nice chess because we don't have anybody who went from rags to riches in a chess tournament and it's not about the competition it's not about the prizes and the money and the success and you know beating people and big personalities hurting each other it's like uplift it's all the uplift it's a it's about uh demystifying a game like chess is not a game designed for smart people. Demystify it. Start with chess takes what you have and elevates your personal game on so many levels, okay? You, You don't just get smarter, you behave smarter. You know, think about how many studies there have been about where um, men of color learn to play chess, right? Mm-hmm. I think Chess Life magazine had a cover story on it, right? And it's in prison. I've gotten yeah. so many letters from people who are in prison or who are returning citizens who want to come to the program. And they're like, ah, I don't think I can be in the program. I'm a returning citizen. I'm like, of course you can. You've, you've returned, you know, right. your debt is done. And, um, and if you don't want this next generation of kids coming up to learn chess in the same place you learned it, then show up on Wednesdays from four to six and teach them. And then if you run into some kids, I will pair you up with a kid who's looking like they're on that path, you know? And then you can sit down and you can talk to them about that because you are gonna grow into a king or a queen of a totally different nature you know the game that i want everybody to win is not on a board and and it's not gonna give you a prize um that is as tangible but there are people who've been winning the game winning the big game because they started the same age your daughter did you know and i get kids i was in the supermarket finally got into a supermarket right got vaccinated Got into a supermarket. The first thing that happened was somebody like all the way down the other end, and I am wearing the mask, you know, and they still were like, it's a chess lady. <laughs> and, like this person comes running up to me and I'm five foot three, right? And this young man is like, oh, hi. You know, I'm looking up to him. <laughs> and he's like, do you remember me? You taught me how to play chess. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like you were, you could, you needed a telephone book to sit on. You know, and they'll tell me all about like he's telling me all about how he's going to college now and how it helped him navigate and his grades got better. I mean, it wasn't a miraculous change, but it was a change that that just redirected his personal flow. And he's used that. He's telling me how he's passed chess on. And everybody remembers how I teach chess because I teach it like it's a story, you know, people like. I can't remember how the pieces move. And I'm like, here's how it goes, right? You remember it. I know you do, right? The king is a big, fat man, right? And he's so fat. He's so fat. He can only take a step, one step in any direction. 
and then he needs to take a rest, right? But the queen is young and fine, right? And she can go anywhere <laughs> she wants in any direction as far as she wants. She doesn't zigzag or jump because that is just not queenly or dignified, <laughs> right? And why does the king do that? Because in, in Persia in 500 AD, right, the king got paid his weight in gold. So he wasn't yeah. some unfortunately fat man. He was fat on, he was fat with purpose, right? Because he wanted to sit on that scale. He wanted like, you know, skinny king, skinny amount of gold, fat king, fat amount of gold, you know? So, you know, so they tell the whole history. They learn the whole history of jazz, but they never forget. Like I have kids coming up to me they're in their, you know, their teens and their twenties now. And they're like, the king is a big fat man. <laughs> You know that Lisa, that's so awesome. I think one of the things, and um, and I'm gonna ask you a question a little bit about your journalist background. But one of the things that I remember the most was when my daughter was playing chess one day, and she got she was getting burned out at your program, and you said, "Just let her go play in the playroom. Let her go play with some toys or something." We were in the library, and they had a little playroom for kids. And to me, that <laughs> to me that sums up your program where it's just you you want to keep it fun and people learning and when they need a break let them take a break so it's not the end of the world and as you're saying like you're you know you're teaching them how to be successful at life um, not just in chess you know a lot of times you see people in those strict programs where it's chess 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 but when chess ends they still have to figure out how to live right? outside of the chess world. Well, that that story, I remember that too, you know, <laughs> and that informed a lot of my actions thereafter because, you know, nobody comes into these things knowing everything. It's like anything right. else, you know, you grow and change along with the people you're growing and changing. And uh, so like, like I said, all the day, someone will probably never make a movie about it. Think of all those movies. Think about searching for Bobby Fisher, right? That right. kid gets burnt out. I have so many kids get sent just by word of mouth to my chess program because they're burnt. They just they've just burnt out on it because they start when they're what three? And I yeah. get like seven year olds who are just so world weary and so jaded. And they're just like, I really don't care. I don't care how many trophies I have. I don't care. Chess is boring. Chess is stupid. I'm like, okay, cool. So we're we're gonna play uh, Bug House today, and I'll yeah. like, but that's just for little kids. Okay, do little kids have fun? <laughs> yeah. Do Do you want to eat a bagel uh, with everything on it and listen to some music and just chill out? And uh, I said, you know, the best part about this is, and, and this is a big deal for me, uh, is that when when I get a big ego walk into the room, I don't care what age that ego is. I will sit that ego down uh, at uh, at the the table and I will have them play uh, bug house or Siamese chess, you know, partner chess, where I tell them, look, you have a partner, you got to work with somebody. You can advise them. You may not yell at them. And they're like, because oh, they all want to start out yelling at their partner. I'm like, mm -mm, you're going to lose you want to lose? No. Then you're going to have to, you're going to have to have some fun with this. Otherwise you're going to lose. You're going to lose big and hard and it's going to be embarrassing because I'm putting you across from a six-year-old. They're like, hmm. So. It's a, it's, and I, you know, it's a, it's a learning process. I never forget that 
we had a club in Williamsburg and this kid was in sixth grade, kind of an elite school. And he was real intense. He wouldn't smile. He didn't enjoy himself. And as he played the game, his father would come to the club and stand right beside him and watch him as he played. Oh. And, and, uh, and, and that's one thing that I, I guess, you know, I really appreciate about the work that you're doing is that you, you teach everybody the game. And, and for those who don't play chess, you know, chess is definitely something that can humble your ego in, in a matter of minutes. <laughs> you know, I play, I play chess every night and I might have a fantastic game and then I lose my next 10 games. I mean, that's just yeah. the way chess is. Uh, so I appreciate that. Lisa, tell us a little bit about uh, your background. I know you're an author and you're a journalist. Can you share a little bit with the audience kind of, kind of your story? Sure. Yeah, well, um, I'm in Norfolk, Virginia now. Uh, I, I began in New York City um, and New Jersey. I was a journalist for the New York Times, uh, Philadelphia Inquirer, Christian Science Monitor, done some pieces for National Public Radio. I did a TED Talk on how to uh, start your own chess club uh, for, for fun and, and community um, as a TEDx that was held here. I'm um, also the author of 10 children's books and wow. uh, uh, currently the uh, queen of the fairies. <laughs> yeah, tell, tell us about that. Tell, tell us about yeah, the, uh, well, before I ask you about the fairies, oh, so if, uh, for those interested in your, your children's books, is that something they can get on Amazon? or? Yeah, or? you can find them on Amazon. Okay. I've I've done some some picture books for children about uh, mermaids and uh, did one about uh, uh, America the Grateful where Thanksgiving really began in the state of Virginia but it's really more a book about uh, gratitude the attitude of awesome. gratitude the mood and not the food awesome so awesome. yeah we're all about attitude. <laughs> Now, now tell us about, let, let's hear the story about these fairies all the way up to your TV show and everything. Tell us, yeah. tell us the story. So, you know, something had to fill the <laughs> giant gaping void of chess, right? Because the pandemic hit and our community, our rec center got like shut down. So, and I don't want to be, you know, typhoid COVID Mary here you know, running the chess program, getting everybody sick. Because everybody goes home to their grandparents and their aunties and everybody. So we shut down the chess program. We have not had chess since the pandemic. And uh, I was I was out, uh, I have one of those little free libraries in front of my house where people come, they drop off books, they pick up books. So obviously a big flow of children in front of my house, it was summer, and kids were miserable. Um, you could not do a Zoom for work without hearing kids out front crying. So I went out to investigate and I came up with this idea. This one little girl was upset because there was no book on fairies. She wanted a book on fairies to be in that library. And it just magically wasn't there and the world was ending. So I came out and I told her, I said, you know, the fairies have come here for the pandemic because they heard you crying and they are coming and you'll be able to talk to them. You can write them letters and they'll write back to you. And this little girl looked at me. She was like, really? Yeah, really? I said, when? So I did a quick mental calculation of how fast Amazon could conceivably get a fairy door <laughs> to me. And I was like, it was Monday. I'm like, Sunday. It's 
So, you know, Amazon and I found a fairy door and put the fairy door on a crepe myrtle tree in front of the house and set up, you know, little thing like pens and pencils and like little sign, handwritten sign, like write a letter to the fairies, they'll write back. What was I thinking of? I don't know my own strength um, or something, the strength of this pandemic, because it started with that. Now there's like an entire fairy village in front of my house. Most of it was created by parents, grandparents, moms, dads, people with a lot of pandemic time on their hands. And the fairies have answered like over 2,000 letters since last July. And, and they're getting letters from, and this isn't just like dear fairies, you know, ha tell me what Tinkerbell likes for breakfast. This is like, this is soul stuff. This is like, wow. one letter was like, dear fairies, my little brother is deaf and he doesn't want to pay attention and talk to anybody anymore um because he can't see their faces with the you know with masks you can't read lips wow. so the fairies very quickly uh like put the word out and got clear masks you know for the deaf and wow. so like there was a package when the kids came back there was a package addressed to their family and their school so uh for the kids their friends all their classmates you know, everybody in the family and their friends all got clear masks and the little boy started to like come out of it. So like that is the level like and letters from the military, uh, letters from people in the ROTC were right next to ODU, letters from ODU students. I, I got a letter uh, uh, that now I Now you responding to all the letters or now are you fairies? responding or you got a team? The fairies. fairies. Fairies, singular, and yet plural, all have responded to over 2,000 letters. Yeah, they're some busy, busy fairies. And they, uh, fortunately, there's a really nice guy at a place called Amazing Arts in uh, Davis, Illinois, who saw a story that the Associated Press did on the fairies, and he made a whole bunch of rubber stamps so that each fairy has like a little illustration that can be on each letter and they have like little postmarks for the little envelopes and oh my gosh think of taking all of the detail oriented brain space that you use to create a chess program and applying it to fairy letters like wow. that level of detail is crazy but yeah so if you if you want to go to the website, it's fairypenpal.com. Fairies now get letters from all over the world. Like our mailman shows up at the door and he is just like down. He's like little kids will try and quiz him, like try and trip him up. And they're like, <laughs> are there really fairies here? Do you get letters from the fairies? He's like, the fairies help me do the mail. I do not have to do anything. I love it. So, so. that that took you from something to do during a pandemic all the way to the kelly clarkson show is that correct yeah well what happened was i guess some of our neighbors uh retired from the associated press and they had a dinner party and they went for a bike ride and they came by and saw the fairy stuff and then they sent out a reporter and then he did a story that went global like it was in the times of india uh and then the kelly clarkson show picked it up and decided they wanted me to be on there and uh talk about it 
and uh, so it was, uh, yeah. I was it, I was that experience. I bet that was incredible. Yeah, you think that was that was? Um, <laughs> I was on with Serena Williams. Thank you very much. I was in the green room, going like, "Oh my goodness, Hi. you don't know me. I'm just here with the fairies, like you do. I'm just gonna like you know be That's here." That's awesome. Well, it turned out that Kelly Clarkson was doing the same thing. She had created a whole fairy garden for her little girls during the pandemic. Uh, so, you know, people just need comfort. And comfort is a strategy, right? Like, it's a strategy. You need good strategy to get through the pandemic. Like, we have had to deploy multiple strategies, right? For, like, how to get our food, how to, you know, mask up and, you know, do our jobs and keep our minds straight, you know, and not just be in bed with cookies and a bottle of vodka all day long. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and online, online is good, but, you know, uh, putting something out and putting out. And then I, I actually uh, put out a giant, like, like a life-size chess set in the summertime uh, outside. So the kids and people in the neighborhood could just stop and play. So I'm about to put that back out, like as soon as we get some reliably not the middle of, you know, a storm weather. Wow, that you know that that's awesome. Uh, you know, that our podcast is about people who are changing their world one move at a time. So whether it's in a chessboard or in a game of life, and that to me that is changing the world. You know, I think I shared before. I remember I didn't realize how the COVID had impacted. I heard how it impacted the. Um, the, the Santa Claus impersonators. And so the, the because they couldn't dress up as Santa Claus and it's actually a Santa Claus right. impersonator network. And so some of the Santa Claus impersonators, I know it's a better name for that. So I apologize if I'm offending you, Santa Claus. But they mentioned that during the holiday times, that's when kids will sit on their lap and say, my family doesn't have any food or, yep. you know, help my dad find a job. You know, it's not just I want a toy truck. And so they talked about missing out. And, and I didn't realize, as you said, with the fairies, I didn't realize that sometimes these outlets are the way, even as a coach or sometimes, sometimes these outlets are the only way the kids can really reach out for help. So that I mean, to me, that's that's amazing. Well, you know, and it, that, you brought up an excellent point um, with the chess program, with nice chess. We had so many instances where, like, for example, a little boy in middle school, and everybody was making fun of him. All the kids were down on him. They were just, they were just ugly, ugly, ugly to him. And I, I feel like a couple of kids I said, why are you doing this to him? And like, he never wears his shoes. He can't be bothered to put his shoes on. Look at him, his shoes are half off. He don't put his shoes on. He doesn't participate in gym class. He's always in trouble because he's always taking off his shoes. I waited until everybody was gone and I sat him down. I said, are your shoes too small? And he just was like, I said, it's okay. Do your shoes not fit? And he started to cry. He's like, no. He's like, I, I never have, I don't have shoes. And I said, they were literally a size too small. He was wearing them like wow. slides. Okay. Wow. And I was like, okay, we're going to fix this. Let's figure this out. And, you know, we literally drew his foot on a piece of paper, you know, each foot. And I was like, how long is, is it till you get picked up? And, you know, told him, and I just like, you know, we did a whip around in the chess room, all the mentors, you know, everybody kicked in a couple bucks 
And I was like, stay here. And I just like flew to, to like Target or Walmart or whatever was closest at the time, bought two pairs of sneakers, brought them back. And he just lost it crying, you know, put on those sneakers. And, you know, he's one of those kids that actually that I have run into since he became like this incredible basketball player um, because he finally could get on the court and play, you know, and we talked to the coaches and talked to everybody, talked to his teachers and said, yeah. And they were like, how did we not? I'm like, because you're busy. There's nothing wrong with you. You are not a bad person. You are not a bad teacher because you didn't know. I have the luxury of being in this more relaxed setting where, you know, I can problem solve this. And this is the joy of being a person engaged in chess is that you are, for the most part, a person who problem solves, right? Like that's what we do. And if we could take those problem solving skills and apply them to social problems, to children's issues and like keep our eyes open like never assume that a kid is a bad kid just never assume a grown-up is a bad grown-up because what because they don't smell good because they don't look good because they wear old dirty nasty clothes well why do you think that is you know let's let's apply some of those um higher executive functions skills right let's apply some of the executive functioning to making these problems go away. And, you know, that that child will never forget that his trajectory changed because of the pair of shoes, but also nobody in that room, nobody in that community center, nobody who taught that boy, nobody who coached in that school, nobody will ever forget to look at a kid's feet and go, maybe they're not participating because their shoes don't fit. That's awesome. And that that story, I think, sums up who you are and your program. I know you mentioned engagement, Lisa. Can you talk to us about the community policing and all of those kind of efforts you've been Uh, putting in that particular area? Yeah, there is a a state of Virginia after uh, so many Black Lives Matter protests. Somebody finally started to listen. Right. And uh, so there is this I because uh, I often try to engage the police uh, and uh, sheriff's officers and other people in the chess program to get them connected. I got asked to be on this uh, commission to reshape community policing in the state of Virginia. And there are, there are three or four different communities participating. And uh, so I became the co-chair along with Lieutenant April Copeland from the Norfolk Police Department and we've been looking for ways to create a website that would um, share the opportunity to talk back, like to not just be a website where, like to solve it like a chess puzzle, right? To not just make this a one-dimensional solution of like, oh, let's just make an informative information infomercial. Let's not just make a website where we dump stuff for people to read, right? We, like. The, the stakes are too high for that. We have to engage people on a real and significant level. Right. And we need to have the hard conversations. They call these courageous conversations in community policing, where um, 
we've been putting out these like little short questions, like something as simple as what's the first thing that comes into your mind when you see a police officer? Because you don't want to assume what people are thinking, you know? And we've had some very insightful and surprising answers from all demographics, from surprising places, you know? Um, We've had members of, um, you know, of every demographic say they're afraid of the police. And we've had members of every demographic uh, say that they're not, you know, but across the board, everybody thinks that things gotta get better and that there has to be a way to improve, you know, uh, attracting better quality people to the profession, um, weeding out the people who aren't, ways to retain the good guys and weed out the guys that aren't, you know, aren't supposed to be there. You know, but above all, be real, be real, be authentic in your conversations. This is not just like, this is not a day and age, a time or place where you can just give the cheap and easy, slow pitch answers to things. You know, people are in the streets yelling and protesting for a reason. There's a trial going on right now for a reason. And every day, this is like school shooting right? Every Every day day you pick up the newspaper. Every day you look at my social media just can't, you know, there's not a day goes by. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know which one's worse. Like what, you know, what, where's the bad news coming from, you know, but you can rely on it that there's always bad news about community policing. And that's where people have to get real in their conversations. So yeah, I, I beg them not to vote me co-chair. And it happened anyway. So I'm just going to call that what what I call a God wink. You know, <laughs> if you're a believer, you know, every once in a while, God just goes, you know. What What would be the uh, the the ultimate goals you think of, the, of this program? Is just to have a better relationship between the community and the police, or what do you think is the end goal? No, I think I think that this is a, a big, heavy, heavy lift. You know that everybody's gonna have to put their backs into because there is no easy answer to that. Um, It's gotta be uh, a combined effort. It's like, we've got got to come up with a strategy just like in chess. We have to attack this from multiple positions, from the position of the police, from the position of the community, from the position of the media, from the position of the courts, you know, there has to be real justice, but there has to be real consequences. There has to be, um, uh, you know, a purge of of uh, of some of these bad actors and of all of the bad actors. But there has to be a way to attract good people. It's like it's like education, right? Um, you you got to figure out how to make uh, the people that you want want to be there. My right. oldest son. My oldest son went to college at VCU to become a member of the FBI. That's what he wanted. He wanted to be a police officer, then he wanted to be in the FBI. He was in that program for six months and he came home to me on on break and he said, change my major. I was like, this is what you wanted forever. Like, what are you, what? And he said, and, and he, we had a very long talk about it but the upshot was, he said, I don't like anybody that I have met 
that is in the profession, that is in my classes in particular. He said, every single person that is in these classes is somebody that I would not hand a gun, a pair of handcuffs and authority to. I would not. And he's wow. like, I don't feel like I can change this whole thing. I feel like I will be setting myself up for something where I will, I will be unhappy because I will be part of the problem. And so he opted out. He's a professional photographer, runs his own photography business out wow. of New York and New Jersey. Wow. Um, he went that far out of it because, and, and his, uh, his major, his degrees in international justice. And he's a photographer because he said, mm -mm, can't change it. I so I think what it. we need to do is we have to change, we need to change uh, the hearts and minds and we have to, we have to police something more than just perception. I think a lot of people think that if you run a commission like this, all you have to do is change people's perception, just change their minds. Well, you right. can't do that. You can't change their minds for more than five minutes because they're going to pick up social media and they're going to have something that brings them right back to, uh-uh, mm -mm, nope, no good. ACAB, that's where their minds are going to go right back to that, right? But they're, but that's not true. Like, not all cops are bad. Not all right. chess players are geniuses. You right. know what I'm saying? Not, right. not Right? So it, it's, it's got to be a, a deep cut. And it's got to be a lot of hard work over over time because it didn't get this way overnight, you know. Just like our education system didn't get this way overnight. Like overnight. I want to, I want to fix the world. I don't want to save the world. I want to fix it. Like, but I know that I personally can only fix my little corners of it. So I have right. fixed, started, started to fix a corner of it with chess, and then start to fix the next corner of it with fairies. Hey man, don't knock the fairies, you know. <laughs> People are like, oh, how's that helping? You know, I can tell you that one in one day, right before Christmas, the fairies got 15 letters overnight from about 10 p.m. to about 6 a.m. They were all wow. from university students, and three quarters of those letters sounded like suicide. And they didn't want to go to counselors. They didn't want to go to any place formal. They wanted to get it off their chest and have somebody tell them something that made them want to breathe the air another day. And they didn't want to be judged for it. They felt like they're judged, even though they're not by a counselor, right? right? People have that perception. They wanted the anonymity and they just wanted something to magically make them feel better and they were willing to take whatever you gave them you gave them like a little necklace with a little key on it that says this is your key to success this is your key to inner peace now hold on to that that works it's dumbo and the magic feather right and and that is relatable to every chess player who ever had a lucky hat sweater tie clip little you know Every kid at every tournament has something in their pocket or something that they take and they like, you know, like, okay, here's, here's my little magic thing that I put down, you know, next to the chessboard that is my mojo, my little totem, my little blue blankie, you know, 
So if the most logical people in the world were sitting there playing chess, a tournament level, have their lucky coin in their pocket or whatever it is, right? Same operating principle with the fairies or, or anything else. You need something, some little little nugget, some little thing to just be the first thing to hold on to that. First little knot in the rope that you're climbing back up. That's awesome. You know, and you said a lot when it came come to that policing. So, you know, when I when I hear that and then the fairies, both of those touch my heart because like you said, um, even on a policing portion, every police officer isn't bad, right? But um, I know I've had bad experience with police officers. <laughs> so you're trying to find that that balance of um, really just, you know, as I tell somebody, you know, who let's say somebody's complaining about it, their job. And I say, you got to know the difference between a bad day at work and a bad job. Right? There's a big yeah. difference, right? Because you can have bad days on good jobs. Um, and I think that's the thing that I'm, I'm trying to learn more with, especially law enforcement, because you're trying not to take, let's say some bad apples and just say every apple is bad. Um, but it's so hard to do that. I think sometimes when you keep hearing about bad apples, um, and, and I know as my, as myself and even the things that I try to instill in my son as a black male, you know, I'm trying to, trying to find the balance, right. Of uh, you know, be respectful, but be cautious, you know, do this, but don't do that. Um, you know, and, and, and so, and that, I think that it just, it's challenging. You know, and I have friends who are like, you know, you know what, as far as the police, and I got other people who, you know, police can't do anything wrong. And I think that's the, uh, I think that's the, the rub, and that that's something I, I applaud you for taking a look at that because it's definitely it's a heavy topic. It's a heavy topic. But you know what, you just you you know just the title of your program and your podcast, right? Black News First is is so powerful on so many levels and it harkens me, it takes me back to one of the most mind blowing things that I learned when I first sat a kid down at a chessboard. And it was in Park Place, at the library in Park Place. And uh, I was explaining the rules of chess as a white woman to a black child. And I was explaining that white goes first. Right? And that kid looked at me and was like, huh? Yeah. Okay. And I was like, so um, do you want to play black or white? Knowing that white moves first. He's like, I want to play black because I am black. And I was like, no, no, see, no, it's, it's not. It's not the, the black pieces aren't black people versus white people. It's not white goes first because of white supremacy. I mean, I, I get that. No, I'm black. I don't go first. I was like, okay. So like the next week we had, you know, purple versus blue. <laughs> and I was like, now what? Pink versus blue? Yellow versus green. <laughs> and I looked up the history of chess. You know why black moves first? You remember? Uh, uh, okay, no, I'm not going to make you do it. I'm not going to make you do it. Okay. Don't make me do it. Don't so, make me do it. <laughs> okay. 
So in, in, uh, depending on your beliefs, you know, there, there are a lot of versions out there for the origins of chess. I'm just gonna pick the one I like because it works, <laughs> okay? So it's either India or Persia for the right. origin story, right? right? Um, but either way, okay, uh, the game of chess was eventually used as a tool because it was brother versus brother in that, in that war right that happened between the two princes the king and queen they go out the king is killed right the queen has to choose which son takes over the kingdom first uh you know and they don't have uh, a system at that time where the eldest takes over it was the king was supposed to choose his heir king died too soon right so the concept is that they had to create a model First modeling in Sim was a chessboard so that the queen could understand what happens when her two sons went to war against each other, dividing the kingdom's army, right? Nice. So the first chessboards were red and black, not black and white. Black, the color of the ground. Red, the color of blood. The first to move, the first to spill blood. Ah, uh, beautiful. The blood spiller moves first. Red is lighter than black. Eventually, the chessboard became black and white. White stood in for red. That's beautiful. So, I'm glad we got so this. I'm glad we got this. It's the first to draw well. blood. It is you not. probably told you probably told us that story too, and I and I probably forgot it, but that's all. You know, we have this videotape now. <laughs> that's you awesome. have an issue with it, but that's why uh, in my chess program, the boards are all different colors, and the chess pieces are all different colors. And if you are a U.S. Chess Federation player or coach, and you walk into my chess program, you're just going to be walking out like, "Oh, this woman is ruining the game of chess." But uh, with all this crazy, you know, mashup and all these different colors, not taking the game seriously. Believe me, I'm taking it serious as a heart attack. And I have got kids in this community and every other community who are not ever going to learn the advantage of playing white because they are too locked into the racial overtones that have been layered up on it by a society that sees color the hard way like i'm not going to pretend that i don't see skin color because i do it's just that it doesn't affect me right in that way you know what i'm saying so you need to take that in order to take that out of the equation that was the way to do it was to explain the origin story right like in a yeah, good superhero movie and then change the colors and i think too you know for those of you who don't know lisa uh you know, she she could have selected anywhere in Hampton Roads to have her chess program. <laughs> I mean, you know, she could have did it on the ocean front or a high end neighborhood or anywhere. I mean, she 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 selected in an urban area. So many African Americans came out. So many people of different backgrounds, like you said, homeless, previously incarcerated, to doctors and professors and. And, and when I say I believe I know Lisa's heart, I know her heart. And your heart is just really chess is a great neutralizer, right? It's a great equalizer and really tearing down those walls. And Lisa's not just focused on winning the next scholastic tournament 
which is nothing wrong with that. But to me, you've been yeah, focused on. There is on, nothing wrong. Like, let, please don't get yeah. me wrong. I don't get me wrong. Anti-tournament. <laughs> right. I believe that there needs to be some equal time alternative right. to programs that focus on that because when you're focused on the winners, then uh, that's an elite few and that automatically puts a feeling in, into kids' hearts and souls that they are the losers. They can't view it as these kids are winning. They view it automatically as these are the winners. I am the other category, which makes me the loser. And I'm not worth the time for instruction because people cannot help themselves. I throw more parents out of that room, right? You know, you've seen I've it. Seen, I've seen, I've seen you. I've seen me just like I've eat seen them. You. Hey, go, go outside, take a break. Yeah, I had this one mom. Wow, I don't know if her name was Karen, but I'm pretty sure that, um, <laughs> that it was. And we'll just say, Ken, okay, no, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't pick on the name, but we'll just say, you know, okay, we'll come in. And her kid was tough because she was tough. And that kid could not, could not make a move because he would start to reach and she'd be like, didn't your coach tell you never to do that? I'm like, hey, um, how about, can I show you what's down at the other end of the table? No, I need to be here with my son to be, I'm like, actually, I kind of don't think you do, you know? And she, right. she decided, I, I, I tried and she reported me to the establishment. She said, I'm going to get you fired. I said, well, I want to see this, you know, and all the kids in the room, <laughs> had like 30, 40 kids, it was the summer. And all the kids went, ooh, ooh. And I said, I'll go with you. Let's go get me fired from my volunteer work. Let's go get me fired, right. you know. And uh, and Karen was, was hell-bent for leather to get me fired. And we walked up front, and I just went, here you go. And the ladies at the front desk were like, uh-oh. Like, what's up? And this lady's like, she told me that I can't be in the room. And then she's, and they're like, yep, there's, there's, your, there's your chair over there. You just relax, you know. And, uh, and she just, uh, I don't think to this day she's over it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it's about. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I think it's about kids loving the game and learning and life. You know, that's kind of my approach to, to chess. I enjoy it. And, you know, I definitely, there's a serious side when I like to play it seriously, but it's really a, a, the game of life and, and, I believe everybody should know. I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where it seems like everybody can play checkers, but everybody should at least know and appreciate, um, you know, what we offer in chess. But Lisa, this has been great. This has been fantastic. I'm so glad I got to be here with you. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, I think it's just so full circle that you are the first person on my podcast. I think it's, I, I could not have selected. The only thing that would have made uh, this better would you would be sitting beside Dr. Bowman. <laughs> I was That's just the on the phone with him too. He like miraculously <sighs> called me for the first time in like three months. And uh, he's actually taking care of his mother who is 107 years old, living in Williamsburg. And he has elected to teach. He's a professor at uh, Norfolk State University in the biology that. department. He also works with NASA. 
He's the guy that, like, you know, if they think there's alien life somewhere on Mars, they, they call up Dr. Bowman and say, is that possible? How would that work? And he wow. figures it out. So, but he would, he will, uh, I'm sure, do this. But right now, he is, she's 107 years old. God bless him and her. He has sacrificed everything uh, to keep his mama going. He's, he's, his family is at home, and uh, he's been with his mom. And for those who don't know, um, Dr. Bowman was, uh, I guess, one of the co-founders, if I'm saying that correctly, mm -hmm. Lisa, of, the, of yeah. the nice the nice chess program. Thank you to everyone. We look forward uh, to, to many more podcasts and definitely comment, subscribe and keep us connected. Thank you again for your time today. And remember to subscribe to our podcast, rate our show and share with others. You can also view us on the web at www.blackmovesfirst.com. My final charge to you is, what move will you make today to change your world? Stay positive, and I'm your host, Alton Jameson.